Hi everyone, this is Holly Herndon. I'm Matt Dryhurst. And you're listening to Interdependence. Okay, I see. This is a Cabela version of the Bring, Bring, Bring. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Hi, Audrey. How are you? Hi, how are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, good local time, everyone listening in. <laughs> so normally, um, when we when we have a guest on, we ask them to uh, introduce themselves. But today, I was hoping that you might be willing to recite or read the job description that you wrote for yourself in the form of a poem, a prayer. Mm-hmm. Is that possible? Sure. Uh, I'm a poetician, you know. Uh, the most of things that I do is reciting poems. Uh, so here goes my <laughs> job description. goes like this. Uh, when we see the Internet of Things, let's make it an Internet of Beings. When we see virtual reality, let's make it a shared reality. When we see machine learning, let's make it collaborative learning. When we see user experience, let's make it about human experience. And whenever we hear that a singularity is near, let's always remember the plurality is here. Okay. Beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. you. We also later want to ask you some questions specifically about your poetry practice, because it's something that's been coming up quite a lot recently. And it's been Mm -hmm. a really nice departure. We had... Yeah, a few people last week reciting poems on the podcast. Mm-hmm, kind of unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's nice. really, really nice. Um, oh, cool. So for, for people who are completely unfamiliar with, with what you do, would you mind giving maybe a little introduction to yourself and and a loose introduction to your to your to your background. Okay, my background is very transparent. Uh, there's no opacity uh, whatsoever. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, born in 1981, so it makes me almost 40 years old now. I'm currently Digital <laughs> Minister of Taiwan, uh, in charge of social innovation, open government, and youth engagement. And through the use of Digital social innovation, the ideas of fast, fair, and fun uh, response to the pandemic. Uh, Taiwan has had single digits of COVID-related deaths uh, this time, uh, and we've never had a lockdown. And just as we countered the pandemic with no lockdown, we countered the infodemic, uh, the disinformation crisis with no takedown either. Um, so this is a uh, story of the citizens uh, working with the government and the government working with, but not for, uh, the citizens and in co-creation. Incredible. I can't wait to talk more about that. We have so many questions. Yeah, we're going to get into that. But just to kind of fill in a little bit more of your background. Um, so you were active in the Sunflower Movement in mm-hmm. 2014, where basically mm-hmm. groups kind of organized to occupy the legislature, protesting a trade agreement mm-hmm. with China that was done in a in an mm-hmm. opaque manner. Yeah, we call it a demonstration, not quite protesting. Okay, uh, there's a little bit of protesting the day before they occupy. But once we occupy the parliament, it's demonstration in a sense of a demo. Uh that uh, working with more than 20 NGOs, uh, we demonstrated to the country that with half a million people on the street and many more online, we can actually get rough consensus going on using uh, listening and skilled civic technologies, uh, facilitated deliberation, open space technology, and so on. And after three weeks of very peaceful, nonviolent occupy, we did get a coherent set of demands, which were then ratified. Amazing. So was this was this your introduction to politics or the kind of the first time you were really 
active in politics? Well, um, I'm always involved in politics one way or another because uh, when I was young, I still remember the part, uh, the, uh, part of the martial law uh, played on the media landscape, uh, the censorship, uh, because both my parents are journalists uh, who care a lot about social reform, uh, democratization, uh, and um, na- nature preservation, sustainability, and so on. Uh, they really had many uh, struggles uh, within the then uh, one ruling party system and not mm-hmm. at all democratic election. And so um, in my youth, I participated in the nascent uh, co-op movement, the Homemakers Union, um, people who voluntarily protect the uh, environment and building the so-called social sector in Taiwan, even before the martial law was lifted. Uh, and then after martial law was lifted, I was also involved in the first presidential campaign, which happens after the War on Web, actually in 1996, uh, and helped to campaigning because my dad was a spokesperson for one of the presidential candidates who, who lost, by the way. Wow, that's fascinating. I'm wondering how, I mean, yeah, it's much it's much more kind of like complex than I, than I realized through researching it a little bit, but I'm wondering how specifically the Sunflower Movement, your, your participation in the Sunflower Movement, because I believe I read somewhere that you helped organize some communication um, networks. Um, mm-hmm. You set up some of the kind of mm-hmm. IT infrastructure. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. how that experience maybe shaped some of your um, mm-hmm. current politics. Well, that's definitely a plural you there, uh, because while <laughs> I did contribute like uh, Ethernet cables, CAT6 lines, uh, 350 <laughs> meters long, uh, I, I wasn't the, the main uh, ICT crew, uh, which wired uh, together quite literally uh, the parliament uh, with the 20 or so NGOs who was occupying the street. Uh, but we were uh, operating under the broad um, umbrella term of G0V, Arc of Zero, uh, the civic tech uh, initiative, the community. But my main work uh, is mostly on maintaining the back end, uh, the EtherCalc, that's a collaborative uh, no signing required spreadsheet that uh, coordinates the logistics uh, of the supply chain uh, that literally like about lunchboxes uh, and uh, essential supplies uh, in the Occupy movement and so on, and also coordinating uh, the back end that powers the 20 or so live streams with real-time captioning and uh, multilingual translation and things like that. A lot of that will see uh, more use uh, in, I guess, Hong Kong <laughs> later on, uh, but it was prototyped uh, during the Sunflower Occupy, I guess, because um, that was around the time where mobile uh, communication as well as live streaming uh, became really widely accessible. So it's a product of its times, I guess. You've described yourself, I've read in one interview recently, you described yourself as a conservative anarchist That's um, right. and you often talk about um, principles of radical transparency and so I mm-hmm. wonder if we could maybe explore both of those concepts because both of them you know sound somewhat familiar but I think you have a very specific take on them um, and mm-hmm. explore those concepts and and, and maybe uh, dip our toes into how some of those principles are practiced in 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 your government sure um, I call myself a lowercase minister meaning that I don't <laughs> ever give orders or take orders uh, so I work <laughs> with the government not for the government for the record mm-hmm. uh, and that uh, is the the anarchist part right this is about voluntary association and so on. Uh, but before anyone thinks me a bomb-throwing anarchist, the conservative <laughs> part. We'll get there. The conser- that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, right. I don't even throw fork bombs, uh, not even software ones. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so um, yeah, the conservative part uh, means that uh, we respect the more than 20 national languages in Taiwan, the various traditions mm-hmm. of the Austronesian, indigenous, the um, uh, ethnic Han, uh, but that includes 
Taiwanese Holo Hakka and many other uh, like Mandarin speaking communities, of course. And that uh, is a transcultural uh, setting where we make uh, progress only by including all the 20 or more different cultural perspectives instead of making progress on one particular culture to the expense or to the detriment uh, of the other culture. So it's a transcultural take on conservatism. Uh, and that includes, of course, the internet culture. And a so, transcultural take on conservatism. That's a new phrase for me. That's Well, it is. It's, I mean, it's very much, it seems like it's very much emphasize, emphasizing the conservation component of conservatism, because right. obviously, mm-hmm. you know, in yeah. a European or an American context, that, that term has like very, very different well, it, I guess it share the same same root, right? Uh, meaning that yeah. the traditions are there for a reason, and uh, elderly people they uh, respect certain values and continue for those values to continue to matter. So, so in that sense, we we do share that root. But because in Taiwan, uh, the twenty or so different cultures uh, probably differ a lot uh, with the dominant Western uh, cultures. So, what we are saying essentially uh, is, for example, there's <coughs> a matriarchy uh, in Taiwan, mm-hmm. the Taiwanese Amis mm-hmm. indigenous nation. Uh, there's the Paiwan nation where gender simply doesn't matter when choosing leadership and so on. Mm-hmm. And these are the cultures to be conserved. Yeah, wow. that's wonderful. It's funny in a sense, because I feel like the, uh, given your, your framing of that, we're also maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, we're maybe describing your Tuesdays and your Wednesdays, where, you know, the, the Tuesdays could be considered, uh, I, I remember hearing something about uh, on a Tuesday, you would travel around the country. For oh, that's right. Who and today is a Wednesday, so it's my office hour. Yes, uh, exactly. So, so um, for those who don't know, in Taiwan, you can travel with high-speed rail pretty much all over the country in about an hour and a mm-hmm. half. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. And so you'll spend uh, Tuesdays often traveling mm-hmm. to different communities outside of Taipei. Um, mm-hmm. That's right. And then- yeah. Yesterday I was in Xinzhou. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Wednesday, which is today, is people visiting me in the social innovation lab. Exactly. And this would be maybe the radical transparency part, right? Um, Mm -hmm, Where, and so can we maybe talk a little bit about that radical transparency? Like, what does your Wednesday look like? Um, Sure. Like like today, right? Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Uh, We're we're uh, locked down here, so days don't mean anything, just for the record. It could be any day. (laughs) That's right. Well, well, today is a Wednesday. Um, So uh, I uh, first enjoy a conversation with a fellowship of the Radical Exchange, which I'm a board member. I'm a digital minister at TW slash board member in like three, soon to be seven, uh, international social innovation organizations. Uh, so we talked about how to build digital public infrastructure together, how we move uh, public deliberation uh, using market uh, incentives uh, outside of the private infrastructure like Facebook, those more anti-social corners of social media, like, uh, you know, private nightclubs with private bouncers and toxic mm-hmm. or at least addictive drinks or things like that and move them I into the Digital, <laughs> digital equivalent of public parks and town halls mm-hmm. and uh, things like that, right? So uh, we talk about that. And then I attended the uh, first Canadian women-only business uh, mission to Taiwan, which is virtual. So I was uh, in the uh, TICC, the convention center, and talking with uh, the Canadian equivalent uh, and many business uh, people. Um, I remember a, a team called CEO, so CEO, but uh, with women leaders. And, mm-hmm. and then, then we talk about how to make social innovation uh, work to not just digital transform, but also sustainably transform uh, the business landscape using SROI, uh, stakeholder capital and things like that. And then uh, there are four visitors. Uh, there's uh, one Carrick 
Staley, uh, who visited me to talk about the gold card experience because we hand out gold cards to anyone with the uh, potential to contribute to science or technology in Taiwan, which mm. is pretty much anyone. And then you can get uh, uh, one to three years of um, residency, healthcare, including your family, uh, and in a very, very safe place <laughs> in the world. So wow. there's a record number, That's more than 2,000 people doing this gold card visa, and they really want to contribute, right? So wow. they uh, also want to know like how to make more contributions to the local, not just entrepreneurship scene, but also uh, about, for example, of tech, how to digitize, helping uh, the, uh, for example, bilingualization of our web services and government services mm-hmm. and things like that. <clears throat> and the next one, uh, MEC, I think, works uh, with the Internet Archive, archive.org. Mm-hmm. And they happen to know that I uh, have this domain archive.tw. <laughs> so we brainstorm on how to make Internet Archive work uh, in a Taiwanese uh, mm-hmm. cultural uh, fashion and also how Internet Archive, uh, more broadly speaking, uh, can help fight disinformation uh, during the COVID pandemic by systemically backing up uh, the like health-related records and things like that. So it's a fun discussion. And then uh, another one talks about how to use non-fungible tokens to record the fact that people are planting trees. Uh, for carbon offsets and things like that. And another one after that uh, talks about how to start a, uh, a startup that focus on getting people to recycle more uh, and things like that. So it's mm-hmm. people with business ideas, but it's not necessarily business for profit, sometimes for prof- for purpose with profit and so on. Wonderful. We will have to, at some point in this conversation, hopefully touch on the topic of NFTs because it seems like the... <laughs> The world is the world is exploding with interest in this particular topic. That's right, exactly right. It's nice to hear an environmental. Yeah, it's actually it's nice to hear it. Yeah, it's nice to hear the 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 opposite. Yeah, the cap and trade use of NFTs. <laughs> yeah, but but all of the conversations are already on YouTube. Uh, so we took video recording of of all the uh, visitors' exchanges, and they can choose either YouTube, which is usually the case when they are looking for new friends, or they can mm-hmm. choose a uh, transcript, which we allow ten days of co-editing to remove, for example, anecdotes about their friends, which are not clear for publishing. But my part sure. is always published. And yeah, exactly. That's what I wanted to make clear. So on a, on the Wednesdays, basically, people are free to come and speak with you mm-hmm. under the condition that mm-hmm. um, under the condition that, that stuff is mm-hmm. is is being made public. Which I think is is mm-hmm. such a it's such a wonderful experiment in in yeah having like an open an open policy system. Um, mm-hmm. And I've noticed before as well, you know, when you discuss government and you talk about open data policies, um, we'll maybe talk about the implications of that and maybe some of the successes of that in relation to COVID, like afterwards. But you mm-hmm. will, you often use language that is 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 more common amongst the software development community right like mm-hmm. in this you you discuss things like um uh, forking um mm-hmm. and, in the, and and in a way uh, it, it, it occurs to me or that you know in some ways you're, st- you're talking about kind of democracy or the state generally kind of like a github re- mm-hmm. like an open github yeah re- democracy um, is a type of technology social technology mm-hmm. increasing the mm-hmm. bit rate of democracy mm-hmm. hmm. Wonderful. Okay, so we've so we've got that covered. Holly wants to talk wants to talk COVID because because in terms of some of these these open data policies, it's our understanding at least that some of the experiments that that you've been you've been piloting uh, in in Taiwan may be helped with the uh, with the detection. Yeah, we were thinking about some of the successes of this kind of radical transparent policy mm-hmm. was the the early COVID nineteen detection, and mm-hmm. Taiwan, you know, Taiwan's received so much acclaim, rightly so, for the handling of the pandemic. You all never had to impl- impose a lockdown, and you, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, you avoided so many casualties, which is really. Mm-hmm 
really incredible. Um, so some of these successes uh, in handling the pandemic were perhaps due to systems that you already had in place. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so maybe we could talk about some of those, like some, you know, the natural disaster alarm um, on the phone or, you know, already the strong public trust through transparency that we touched mm-hmm. on a little bit. But also maybe um, maybe we could touch on the your ability to limit fake news through community moderation. Mm-hmm. I, fa- I found that really fascinating. Uh, we were able to detect the COVID-19 uh, in, well, the 19th, right, 2019, in December, <laughs> when Dr. Li Wenliang uh, from Wuhan, uh, who shared on social media there uh, that there's, and I quote, seven new SARS cases uh, in the Huanan seafood market, end of quote. Um, but of course, it didn't quite reach the people in Wuhan, but Dr. Li did save the Taiwanese people because a very young doctor uh, with the nickname Nomer Pipe shared Dr. Li's message on PTT, mm-hmm. the Taiwanese equivalent of Reddit. And uh, throughout uh, the early morning, of December 31st, people triaged, upvoted it, and at the end of the day, like literally uh, in the 1st of January, starting from like 0 a.m., uh, every flight coming in from Wuhan to Taiwan gets uh, health inspections. And so people were able to crowdsource on that so fast because PTT, even though I call it a Reddit equivalent, is really not an equivalent. <laughs> Reddit is in the private sector, and the PTT is a social sector, digital public infrastructure, literally a pet project by National Taiwan University students that's been running for decades. And so because of uh, the lack of, I guess, advertisements interest, lack of shareholders interest, PTT is entirely open source and uh, co-governed by its participants, uh, like a platform co-op. So people focus their energy on the issues that actually have a social impact uh, without being uh, derailed into advertisement or surveillance capitalism um, tricks, right? So uh, that actually... Uh, made the early warnings far more reliable. And then uh, later on, when there's disinformation or conspiracy theories around mask uh, efficacy, around mask distribution, around um, the effectiveness of vaccines, which we are now seeing, uh, there's always a reliable uh, crowdsourced community where people can participate in the fact-checking, in the essentially journalism work by themselves without having to uh, trap ourselves into the more addictive places is the more antisocial corners of social media. That's fascinating. So you were mentioning that PTT was already, um, you know, in mm-hmm. kind of wide public use for a while mm-hmm. when, when this yes. happened. So you kind of already had those rails. How long has it been um, in use? Publicly. Yeah, um, it's uh, rolled out, I think, 25 years ago, 1995. Uh, wow. So it's been a while <laughs> when we say infrastructure, we really mean infrastructure. Yeah, <laughs> and and yeah, it's well. it's been uh, running in the Taiwan Academic uh, Network, the TANET, uh, which also has been around uh, before the turn of the century. So like very veritable uh, part of the internet that uh, people uh, really associate a lot of the social contribution and the Sunflower Movement also was prompted by PTT uh, um, posts calling people to counter surround the police so there would be no violence. Oh, uh, wow. Was PTT also part of the infrastructure in the surgical mask data success that you all had, getting people to pharmacies and, and showing people exactly how many surgical masks were mm-hmm. available at any, any time? It, it's good to uh, spread the news about the availability of such masks. So that's the more pro-social use of social media. Uh, but mm-hmm. equally important is the G0V or the GovZero community, uh, which was the umbrella term that we used during the Occupy and now has also evolved 
into the idea of, I think you just mentioned it, forking the government. And it's very simple. For example, take the national participation portal, join the gov.tw, and you can change the O to a zero, so join the g0v.tw, and you get into the shadow government, which is more fun. Uh, and there's like 8,000 people on the Telegram slash IRC slash Slack channel, and people can just start uh, discussions on, for example, um, Howard Wu, the name of the civic tech people um, who uh, invented the mask availability map in the first place. So he is the head of the local Google developer group uh, and he just prototyped along with the GDG folks uh, the first map that showed uh, Google map uh, where are the places that still have some in stock so people mm-hmm. don't have to queue in vain but he used Google API the places API the more expensive one not the map API only so he owed Google 20k US dollars after just a day or so <laughs> after being oh, no. uh, you know uh, exposed on uh, national media so I also contributed to his bill uh, so he went to the G0V Slack channel to ask for help. Of course, people uh, talk about, you know, caching the results, uh, making sure the OpenStreetMap could be used or things like that. Uh, but I was also part of the discussion. So I just took his idea to the head of cabinet, to our premier, uh, saying that we need to trust these people with real-time open data or open API because they already have far more reach than anything that our government-run uh, websites would do. And the premier gave a green light. And then literally the next day, uh, we started this three-day sprint uh, to make all the pharmacies, more than 6,000 of them in Taiwan, uh, report real-time uh, selling data of the Ration Medical Mask so that people can see when they're queuing, uh, the people queuing before them swipe their national health card, and then the real-time stock deplete by two by two uh, every time an IC card is uh, swapped. So it builds public uh, trust, trustworthiness, because people can verify them using participatory accountability, and they don't have to use a map because the same API also powers a chatbot or voice assistance for people with seeing difficulties. Uh, At the end of it, more than 100 different applications. My mind is blown at how fast things can move in Taiwan. Well, Mm -hmm. for context too, we're in Germany currently at the moment, um, and there's there's a big scandal. um, As people have learned, Holly, you actually know more about this because Holly speaks better German. It's okay, we don't want to go into all of it. There's there's a whole scandal about the fact that the vaccine delivery is being delayed because the official uh, state offices dealing with the matters are communicating via fax machine. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. (laughs) The idea that you could deploy this kind of idea within a week, um, and particularly not just deploy an idea, but field an idea that somebody independently came up with um, and then help them realize that and, and bring that bring that to more people. Yeah, it's this just, kind of it's just mind-blowing. It's, uh, uh, inclusion it's, is really amazing. It's mind-blowing. Would you mind explaining, I mean, there's there's so much to get through because obviously you're in a scenario where you can make a difference in a week to the way a state <laughs> runs, which is just, mm-hmm. uh, again, it's very difficult to get your head around. But as a result- well, I think Audrey would argue, and please, if I say this wrong, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think that they've set up a system where anyone in Taiwan can make a difference in a week. And that's what's so beautiful about it. it yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, Howard would didn't ask for our permission <laughs> before rolling out <laughs> the, the, the mask availability map. And all, all I did was, I guess, to to talk to Google saying that, hey, uh, I'm going to make a portal of the 100 or so <clears throat> mask availability uh, applications. And would you please waive uh, his uh, map and places API usage fees if I place your uh, on top of the OpenStreetMap one? Uh, and the Google CSR team said yes. Uh, so I helped <laughs> that that's my only contribution. <laughs> 
That's wonderful. But as I said, there's so much, there's so many, uh, there's so many small kind of interventions that, that could be discussed because everything seems to be working in such a beautiful and fluid way. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I'm particularly interested in is the humor over rumor mm-hmm. um, policy that you've, that you've been discussing. Would you mind please explaining mm-hmm. uh, how that came together and what its utility is? Because mm-hmm. it's, it, yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just as we fight a pandemic with no lockdown, uh, we need to fight an infodemic with no takedown. And that's because people above 40 years old uh, all remember the martial law and nobody want to go back uh, to the martial yeah, law. Yeah. So uh, anything that begins with censorship, uh, even for uh, like, you know, uh, hate speech or information manipulation by foreign actors, which tend to be the, you know, justification for censorship uh, in other parts mm-hmm. of the world, um, still uh, they face a lot of resistance when anything that looks like a takedown or censorship is proposed by any legislator. It's just a a non-starter, right? So because of that, we need to think of ways to uh, outrun, outrace the conspiracy theories and disinformation Mm -hmm. campaigns, which is not easy because most of them build upon outrage, which is one of the most viral emotions. Uh, It has a very high R value as compared to, for example, sadness, which has a very low R value. People don't tend Mm -hmm. to share right stories so um outrage (laughs) that goes to say uh revenge uh discrimination uh or things like that like the beginning of a hate speech uh that renders um people's empathy like null and void and when people Mm -hmm. gets into like mindlessly sharing their stories then we have a real problem of infodemic right so Mm -hmm. because of that uh we need to work on vaccination (laughs) against the virus of the mind the conspiracy theories and disinformation and we stumble upon uh joy uh, or humor for this is a one-way street if you have left about something it's very difficult to go back and feel a sense of uh, vengefulness or a sense of discrimination mm-hmm. but if uh, and the best comedians do this if you feel uh, like discrimination or vengefulness it's actually uh, very much able uh, for a well-placed comedic uh, effect to channel mm-hmm. that into laughter and into joy one case in point uh, <clears throat> was in last April, we've had a conspiracy theory uh, detected by people who volunteered to long press uh, on their end-to-end encrypted channels. It's called Line, but it's like WhatsApp uh, to flag things as spam, essentially. Uh, so people voluntarily dedicate those uh, misinformation as they were uh, first starting to trend. And we can see on the dashboard uh, that there is a ongoing disinformation about, uh, and I quote, the tissue papers materials are being confiscated by the state to make medical grade mask. So we'll run out of tissue paper soon, unquote. Uh, <laughs> which is really quite bad. Uh, it's this information is intentional. It started by tissue paper resellers who will later find out. <laughs> so, so people do go out and panic buy. Um, so within the same news cycle, within two hours, uh, we wrote out the vaccine, the inoculation. Uh, and the vaccine reads, and I quote, um, uh, each of us only have one pair of bottoms. Uh, and then with uh, the premier, the head of cabinet, uh, showing his bottom, wiggling it a little bit. Uh, and it's a, it's a wordplay because in Mandarin, uh, to stockpile twin sounds the same. It's a homonym uh, with uh, bottoms twin. Mm-hmm. So basically it's saying that stockpiling does you no good because there's a, only a certain rate you can use tissue papers. Uh, and then uh, what it really says uh, in a payload, in a large 
table is that tissue papers are made of South American materials and the medical grade masks being plastic products are actually made from domestic materials. There's no way that nationalizing mass production could uh, hurt the tissue paper production. If we only said that as a public service announcement, nobody would share it. But the yep, premier yep. wiggling his bottom is so hilarious. So some people <laughs> share that. And very soon it has a higher R value than the conspiracy theory. Uh, so uh, just after a weekend, nobody shared the conspiracy theory anymore. And everyone is laughing about the bottom, uh, like making himself literally the butt of the joke uh, from the premier. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. A two hour turnaround. It, well, it's, it's remarkable also because it is kind of also jumping out in front. I mean, actually, we have some very close friends, some Dutch artists called Metaheben, who wrote a book. This was five or six years ago. And the title mm-hmm. of the book was Can Jokes Bring Down Governments? And it was very mm-hmm. much... Um, is very much looking at kind of like ascendant meme warfare, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's so interesting and I think incredibly progressive for you all to like identify that issue of meme warfare and jump mm-hmm. out ahead of it and uh, present exactly this vision of jokes augmenting government mm-hmm. uh, government function and 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 dispelling uh, disinformation is remarkable. I mean, do you see that? Do you see that approach scaling? I mean, do you see that approach scaling to other contexts? I mean, because we, this is obviously like a clear a clear issue on Twitter where the incentive mm-hmm. is to provoke outrage right um mm-hmm. have you heard of anybody else like uh, learning from your piloting of this policy oh yeah definitely uh i think uh, the thai people we run a couple of workshops together uh, i visited the uh, jorongong university before uh, the pandemic and they're very interested in uh, running a fact-checking organization based on this principle of, of fun right of uh, mm-hmm. bringing kind of um comic relief almost uh, from the uh, leading um, like journalists and health workers and so on to fact check the uh, ongoing rumors about uh, the medicines that simply doesn't work, right? So uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a, a large um, need for this kind of fact checking that is also fun because it makes the journalists and the fact checkers work much more worthwhile because they know that they can reach far more people in the idea of notice and public notice or even notice and public performance uh, rather than notice and take down. Because if you take things down, people don't learn from it. But if you share this as kind of notice and public notice um, media competence uh, material, then everybody can remix it uh, for fun, uh, for the for the lulls, right? Uh, for the, for the <laughs> laugh, laugh, right? <laughs> and I, lo- I love that you're working with professional comedians as well, because I feel like sometimes, you know, officials try to introduce comedy and then it falls flat yeah. mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work at all. And then that becomes the joke in and of itself. But the fact mm-hmm. that you're actually utilizing people's, you know, well-honed skills, I think is really mm-hmm. amazing. That's right. Uh, we have professionals uh, like the participation officer team in each ministry is basically people who work almost full time to engage the public, especially the hashtag. Sometimes I call them hashtag officers. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Ministry of Health and Welfare, for example, their participation officer literally lives with this dog, a Shiba Inu, very cute. And in, oh, when wow. taking the photo <laughs> from certain angles, looks just like the, the Doga meme. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, their their job, like literally after each 2 p.m. Uh, live press conference about the Central Epidemic Command Center, is to go home and take fresh picture of the dog uh, and introduce, <laughs> say, physical distancing when you're indoor, keep three Shiba Inus away from one another. And when you're outdoor, keep two of those dogs away from one another or wear a mask and putting the dog's foot into the dog's mouth uh, and then taking a photo <laughs> saying the dog is telling you wear a mask to protect your own face against your own unwashed hands. 
intent,、uh, which is brilliant because it appeals to rationalists of interest, right? It doesn't say respect your elderly, right? And then right. it's so funny. You laugh about it, right? So, so you you probably gets vaccinated, and the next time you hear about the ineffectiveness mask or whatever, you say, but、uh, it protects me against my own unwashed hand, which links、mm-hmm. mask use to hand sanitation. Social social dog sting. That's <laughs> right. Exactly.、Yes. Wonderful. Well, I do want to say actually, when you, I mean, when you're talking about、um, this particular period it, related to COVID nineteen, incidentally,、um, Holly and I were in Taiwan for the only time in our life from the first of January. 2020 for、uh, a couple of weeks, so we were there during the election. Yeah,、2020. to the to the 14th,、um, and, and and just anecdotally, I mean, we、uh, we had obviously、uh, read a little bit, and actually we're familiar with you before that, mostly through the、uh, radical exchange movement.、Um, mm-hmm. But the、um, the experience of witnessing the open kind of democratic polling, like this kind of public. Uh, yeah, the, happening the on the record counting of each ballot, YouTubers、yes. live streaming the counting process. For context, and I hope I don't, I hope I don't misrepresent this, but、uh-huh. you're walking through the city of Taipei, and on every corner, like there's restaurants or like laundry services,、mm-hmm. there's people counting ballots openly, and people observing the process. And, and anyone、commenting. can kind of like you know say there's a mistake, or、mm-hmm. anyone can. Yeah,、involved. yeah, yeah. It's YouTuber friendly.、Uh, the leading candidates all have their own apps, so the YouTubers can just join in the counting ballots、uh, and just press on their apps and so on. So this is、uh, again. Something like the mask availability map, where people can report anything、mm-hmm. uh, that looks wrong、uh, in real time、uh, through a open API. So you you do see it in all walks of life. But I can t- I can say, and and as someone who has never really had like a、um, an intimate kind of research interest in the practice of democracy, it was one. I, I felt like I was living. I felt like I was walking in the future. It felt、mm-hmm. it was such a remarkable experience.、Um, uh, also, the lead up to the vote, there was so much energy and participation in the public square. Yes,、yeah, kind、true. of just like we, you know, we were just like walking through different places, and we would end up in a kind of like celebratory where there would be like thousands of middle aged、mm-hmm, people, mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm, of like、mm-hmm. real, but like really excited, that's right. yeah, that's <laughs> like right. super excited.、Right. Yeah, we were we were handed a lot of a lot of different flags at some point, <laughs> and then realized that we were I realized we were actually like.、Uh, Inadvertently attending a, like a, a, a pro kind of China rally, and they were giving us all these flags. I'm like, this is. I, I mean, you you take all the sides, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, democracy. I was like, is this、about. is really cool, but they're they're like sticking flags in our shirts. I'm like,、oh, okay, I, I don't know what I'm representing right now, but this is. But, but, but still, but still, the, the in in terms of like active participation, you know,、uh, there's such a, a. I mean, I feel like you're such、mm-hmm. a such a practical. Uh, such a practical person, such an optimist on these issues,、mm-hmm. and I've kind of been trained in many ways to view the kind of、uh, the merging of new technological concepts and democracy as being somewhat like a technocratic、uh, imposition,、mm-hmm. something to be kind of jaded by, right?、Um, mm-hmm. And to be in an environment where I was like, where where it felt like this was actually a very active and real thing was just.、Mm-hmm. Uh, As I said, I felt like I'd arrived. I'd arrived on a different planet.、Um, that was,、mm-hmm. you know, it was yeah, like Star Trek future, or something. In the future, that's right. Oh, well, I mean, we, we we're literally in the future. I think seven hours in the future. <laughs> Touche. True. <laughs> yeah. So、uh, on that on that principle,、um, we actually had uh, uh, Glenn Veal、um, on. On the podcast quite early, and we've we've been contributors also to the radical exchange、um, mm-hmm. uh, movement. But for those but for those who aren't familiar,、um, I I understand that you've been testing pilots in quadratic voting in Taiwan,、mm-hmm. and 
I wonder uh-huh. if you might be able to explain for people sure. loosely like what quadratic voting is and maybe how you're mm-hmm. experimenting with implementing it. Sure. Um, it's no longer a pilot. It's a part of our public infrastructure because oh, in the past uh, past couple years of presidential hackathon, we've used quadratic voting uh, to mm-hmm. to really good effect. So uh, this is the third year this year that we're uh, continuing the use of QV. Uh, so QV is a very simple idea that increased the bit rate uh, of democracy. Um, in our concrete um, case, the presidential hackathon, uh, we have more than 200 different project ideas, each realizing one or more of the global goals, of the sustainable goals. Uh, but uh, any like professional uh, jury probably wouldn't have their expertise to look through them all, let alone seeing the synergies, right? So we mm-hmm. turned voting to our national participation platform, the joint platform. And in each person, uh, there's, I think, 10 million uh, visitors uh, to the joint platform. So each of them, if they want, can participate in the QV uh, and get 99 tokens. Now, each token um, can be spent uh, on a variety of voting strategies. One very simple uh, strategy is to pick 99 projects you like and give them one vote each. Uh, very few people do that. And people uh, often, as with internet polls, uh, really want to vote everything into one single project that brought them here, which is just mm-hmm. natural. But when they do that, they discover very quickly uh, it's quadratic meaning that if they want to vote two votes, that costs four tokens in total. Uh, three mm-hmm. votes will cost you nine uh, and four, 16, hence quadratic. So with mm-hmm. 99 points, the most they can vote on any single project is just nine votes, which cost 81. And they still have mm-hmm. 18 left. So they're motivated not to squander the vote, but to look around to some other case. Maybe they vote initially uh, to the water box, which is a crowdsourced um, water pollution measurement project uh, that has the arable lands and the uh, like industrial plants on it, uh, building a kind of IoT uh, network of sensing environmental pollution, which is pretty cool. Uh, but they can't vote everything to it, so they have to look around and maybe they see another case uh, that use a Pokemon Go-like game to encourage people to go out to refill their bottles instead of buying new plastic bottles. That sounds cool. Uh, so you can vote four votes now with 16 uh, and you still have two points left. And so you're then uh, motivated to look into at least two other projects uh, like mm-hmm. using smart meters uh, to reduce the energy use uh, or to uh, get push notifications uh, when there's a potential heat damage because we do feel the climate change a lot uh, and so on. And maybe you see the synergy between the heat damage thing and the refilling water bottle thing uh, because when you're outdoors and you get into the potential of the hazardous uh, zone this two works really uh, good together so maybe you take away some of the uh, previous votes you spent on the nine vote part and maybe you do a seven and seven but the point is that each uh, additional vote costs the marginal cost exactly the same as the potential impact that it has on the likelihood that this project will be selected into the top 24 um, so uh, when we do select the top 24, a majority of people, a vast majority of people feel they have won because at least one project they support end up getting the cut, um, sorry, meeting the cut and making sure that we uh, get them the cross-sectoral um, incubation that they need. And the five winners, of course, get a presidential trophy, uh, which is a projector that projects the president promising them uh, that whatever they did will become public infrastructure within the next year. So that's uh, presidential power as hackathon awards. But uh, so the QV helps first to build legitimacy, but second to make people think 
about the synergies. And third, uh, leave people with a really good feeling that everybody have won. Related specifically to the process of quadratic voting, I mean, do you see uh, those techniques ever being, ab- uh, ever being able to scale to um, elections in which people, uh, people are voting for people um, rather mm-hmm. than projects? And, and what, are, what are the implications of that, I wonder? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we try in our board meetings, uh, also for more than a year now, uh, to have our quarterly ballots using QV. And it's a mixture, uh, right? Uh, we can move to, for example, change the logo of Radical Exchange. <laughs> That's one QV topic. Uh, or <laughs> we can move to, uh, I don't know, uh, reappoint, uh, Audrey Tang as a board member. That's another QV ballot. Uh, <laughs> and we don't, we don't separate them into two buckets. We use the same QV ballot for, for this. And uh, I think uh, it's quite helpful and it helps people to frame a high dimensional issue into many binary choices. And with that, uh, potential synergies in the solution space become more apparent. But uh, because of the requirement of QV uh, on the uh, basically no collusion, right? Vote trading is a big problem with QV. Uh, so it do uh, it does rely on people who are motivated more or less by shared values. Uh, otherwise, uh, as Vitalik pointed out, uh, the uh, idea of collusion, especially if you get into the negative square root thing, like casting negative votes, which we also have that in our board meetings, uh, that would probably uh, disrupt the dynamic. So I guess um, we're not quite yet uh, at a place where we use QB to choose, say, legislators or presidents, uh, because mm-hmm. that's uh, the place with exponential return. Right, you only have to game it once, and then you get regulatory control. And we first yeah. use it for like participatory budget in a presidential hackathon is agenda setting. Again, it's like participatory budget. How would you prevent collusion in that kind of scenario? Mm-hmm. Oh, we we don't uh, in presidential okay. hackathon. <laughs> we, we do have projects uh, cross promoting, <laughs> and if you look at a Gitcoin experiment, they do that a lot uh, as well. Yeah. I think it's healthy to a degree as long as they actually have synergy. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, we want to have Kevin from Gitcoin on the on the podcast soon. Actually, mm-hmm. um, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to touch back on your office hours just for a minute. Um, sure. Matt and I have been working pretty extensively with machine learning for a while, and we often note that as soon as something's recorded, it can kind of become part of a machine legible um, training canon. Um, mm-hmm. And with the, these these office hours that you hold that are openly broadcast and archived, yep, I've heard you say that this documentation allows current conversations to also include the people of the future, which mm-hmm. is such an incredible way of framing a conversation, such a beautiful way of thinking. So I was wondering, how do conversations shift? How does the tone of the conversation change Mm -hmm. when people are addressing not only the present and the people in the room, but also the remote people listening and also the people of the future? Yeah, uh, of the four topics uh, of today's office hour, um, you'll note that uh, they all work pretty well uh, for the generations to come. People don't tend to propose like short-term gain by the current generation at the expense of the young children our next generations, uh, people don't tend uh, to bring up ideas that only benefit their sector to the expense of other sectors, simply because it will look quite bad. It will age really unwell <laughs> when it's on public record. So people uh, talk about seven generations down the line, talk about sustainability, cross-sectoral partnership, because they understand that all the stakeholders are going to uh, listen to this conversation potentially at one point or the other. 
Well, I just love this idea of it not being a kind of short-term thinking that you're really having mm-hmm. to, because we, I mean, whether, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, the conversations and the decisions that we're making today do have a radical impact on the future. And mm-hmm. so actually keeping that in mind and thinking about this kind of conversation being with people of the future, I think is a really nice way to remind oneself mm-hmm. that, you know, one's behavior has those kind of impacts. Yeah, I often joke about because for transcripts specifically, we relinquish all copyrights, like using Creative Zero, right? The Creative mm-hmm. Commons CC Zero uh, public domain marker. Uh, so because of that, uh, we kind of fast travel to the future uh, of uh, 50 years or 70 years after my demise, right? So um, this is the expiration of copyright law, uh, depending on jurisdiction. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, just by relinquishing the copyright and contributing immediately to the Commons, uh, it shifts people's mindset into thinking about the benefits uh, to future generations, even when we don't see it anymore. Uh, and I think this uh, really like the overview effect of people going to uh, the International Space Station and see the uh, Earth from the outer space um, land back to become better people <laughs> because they see it in a more holistic way. Uh, I think mm-hmm. there is a similar effect going on, uh, but chronologically, not uh, spatially. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I was When I was stumbling earlier, I was trying to create some kind of correlation um, between this kind of awareness of potential future machinic interpretation of mm-hmm. human affairs mm-hmm. um, and also your poetry practice, right? Because I've seen reference in the past that, you know, you write poetry not only not only in human language, but also in machine language, right? You're you're a, quite a brilliant Perl developer and I'm sure mm-hmm. I'm sure quite well versed in, in many other languages in that context. Mm-hmm. I wonder. I wonder if we could talk just a little bit about your poetry and specifically, specifically this idea of kind of communicating with machines. I, I'm to 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 make my um uh my intentions fully transparent. Um, this is the point where we're going to try and get a little bit psychedelic. Um, ah, okay. <laughs> we have okay. we have we have some we have some unusual like more like increasingly unusual questions um to, to uh-huh. follow after this. But but I think that um. The transition to speak about uh, your history and, and your your interest in poetry would be would be a beautiful segue. Sure. Um, so as I describe my job description in in poetry, um, if you navigate to my homepage, uh, which is rgt.org, uh, you see nothing but poetry. <laughs> it's literally just one specific poetry uh, translated by yours truly by me and and by a Taiwanese poet uh, with the name Chen Yiwen. Uh, and the poem, if you heft it up, uh, is called like a larva holding on for transformation. Uh, And I just uh, read that poem last week uh, to people in Fukushima, uh, very young people in Fukushima, some of them just primary school or middle school, uh, because 10 years ago, uh, there's a like big earthquake, uh, the nuclear plant uh, disaster, right, that really affected uh, their work. And um, I share with them this poem, uh, because it's also a point of transformation, they were forced to live um, in, you know, places other than the place that they remembered. Uh, Sometimes they're part of the evacuated uh, teams. And then later on, they returned to Fukushima uh, and rebuilt that place, but with this um, kind of headwind because the international community still remember it as a disaster zone uh, of sorts, right? So uh, what I'm trying to get at is that uh, this poem to me speaks of the continuity uh, between a generation and the future generations uh, and about the 
invariants, the things that do not change. Um, that's throughout this transcultural journey of uh, conservatism, uh, like conserving the things that matter <clears throat> and pretty much ignoring things that didn't matter. So when, when you talk about uh, connecting via machines, I guess like time machines, uh, time capsules mm-hmm. being a time machine, uh, with future generations, I think about those invariants, about the things that we do that are going to still make sense uh, seven generations down the line, whether they are cyborgs or anything, uh, but uh, without too much focus on the things that are fleeting, that are um, just for for the moment and probably wouldn't matter uh, one generation, let alone seven uh, down the line. So that poetry is something that we recommend um, the listener to this podcast to check out. It's at AudreyT.org. Wonderful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to publish that because even the presentation of it on the website, I think is the bilingual presentation is very, very beautiful. Yeah. And actually what you said reminds me of the conversation we had last week with our friend David Rudnick, who um, he recited a, a, a few stanzas from Shelley's Mont Blanc. And it was it was really uncanny because I believe that was written in the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. And it really felt like it was written about our kind of online experience. Yeah, his, his argument is that Shelley was writing about internet protocols um, was the first, maybe. Well, um, <laughs> early, let's just say early. early. And, and, and his framing, of course, is just this idea that the the poetry as a technology is 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 resilient in, in generationally. You know that there's something about, mm-hmm. um, and it's funny. It reminds me. Have you ever have you ever interacted with uh, Birgitta Jonstotir from uh, from Iceland? Yeah, on Twitter? Yes, uh, a fellow poetician. Yeah, a, a poetician. Did you just say <laughs> poetician? Yeah, I, I'm a poetician, uh, and ah. apparently she is. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's wonderful. Yeah, we 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 performed. Uh, we performed with her a few years ago, and she she stood up and recited a poem. Oh right, that's yeah, right. I you remember about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she was also part of the the free citizens movement uh, mm-hmm. in in Iceland right about that time. It's 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 yeah yeah. It would be nice to it would be nice to see a book of all the politicians. <laughs> 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 um, so one thing that you touched on a little bit earlier was this hot topic of NFTs, oh, which yeah. we've spoken about at, at length on this podcast because it's been such a um, such a hot topic in the news lately. Um, but one project that it kind of reminded me of is, um, you know, it's, there seems to be this kind of consistent thread in your thinking where there's a sensitivity not only to, you know, humans of the now and humans of the future, but also non-humans. And so mm-hmm. it kind of reminded me of this um, project here in Berlin called Terra Zero, where they're mm-hmm. attempting to use decentralized sensor systems um, to allow a forest to kind of track its own health and negotiate, um, you know, various things. People want to, you know, maybe chop down a tree or whatnot, and it can kind of negotiate on its own behalf. Um, mm-hmm. And we've also had conversations with the uh, Indigenous Protocol and Artificial Intelligence Working Group about the need to respect the non-human. So along those lines, I was wondering if, you know, what are your ideas for how to bring the non-human entities into the democratic process? Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, getting them votes, uh, that would be a really good first step. Uh, mm-hmm. And in a sense, we, we are expanding uh, in a much more inclusive way uh, to future adults. That is to say, uh, the national participation platform in Taiwan, the joint platform, already counts more than a quarter of the citizen initiatives by people who are not 18 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. Meaning that people in the middle school, even in the primary school, they can actually set the agenda for the policymaking for the country. They don't have to think that, oh, um, people will start to care about my voice, politicians will care about my voice uh, when I become an adult, uh, but they don't have to 
I don't know, take a strike every Friday either, right? So some, something between participating in Friday strikes uh, and um, waiting to uh, be an adult, I think, uh, lies a, a third way, uh, which is uh, just organizing to get the natural allies in the young people's case, usually the very old people, like the people in their 70s uh, or in the late 60s. Um, we have uh, anecdotal um, evidence that shows that the uh, age groups of around uh, 17 and 70 are the most one, uh, the most active in looking at those sustainability-related themes in citizens' right. initiatives. Um, and right. they, they care about future generations equally and pretty much more than any other age group. Uh, and so, um, yeah, to find an intergenerational spokesperson, uh, solidarity across generations, I think that's a really good first step because then uh, the very young people who naturally are at the business end when they say like sustainability crisis uh, can then find people who care more about their grandchildren or great grandchildren's um, destinies. And then piggybacking on that, we can give the voice uh, to the, um, I think the Terra Zero nomenclature is the cybernetic ecology. Uh, where people who care a lot about, say, a large forest can then uh, speak as a avatar or a spokesperson uh, with that forest. Uh, and this is the, related to the idea of natural personhood, which is already in practice uh, with legal fictions uh, in New Zealand, I believe, New and Zealand, other right. jurisdictions as well, uh, where oh, a river or a mountain... Yeah, can speak through this uh, intergenerational solidarity spokespersons through evidence-based science and participate just like a corporate seat uh, on the board could and join and the vote. Uh, and they can also sue for damage and so on. So give them the same kind of vote that corporate entities do. I think that's one uh, very fruitful uh, direction to think. Is this something that Taiwan's considering? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, which is why, you know, people come to my office hour to talk about NFTs for planting forests and for people's continuous investing of their attention uh, to uh, look after the forest after it's being planted for uh, a tree planted is just the beginning, right, with the relationship mm -hmm. uh, with the, the earth. So it's not just about advocating for the earth, but also somehow get the earth a way to advocate uh, through us. And we already hand out, for example, our civil IoT championship. The second place uh, last year is an art project that paints uh, virtual trees uh, on like e-ink papers and so on that reflects the real tree's health, uh, but in a way that uh, really put visibility um, in to large streets uh, and banners and so on. And they even have installations uh, in the uh, like uh, apartment complex where uh, they remind people to turn off unnecessary air conditioning because they portray uh, the polar bear with the shrinking uh, ice uh, and things like that. So through art, I think that's one of the easier uh, channels through which that we can get the real hard scientist uh, backed um, numbers uh, into something that people feel a lot uh, toward, and then that collectively changed the habit. How can we find out more about this NFT tree project? Oh, uh, well, I can uh, introduce you uh, to the person who just made a visit. Okay, that'd be great. That'd be wonderful, yeah. No, it's it's really great. We've actually, uh, in various capacities, been involved in the, mm -hmm. the kind of DLT uh crypto space and and there is of course like such a uh, like underwhelming minority of projects that are thinking about like uh applications uh for you know for governance uh, uh mm -hmm. or for state state-based applications i should say um or or environmental applications and so yeah any any 
any uh, more in- information on on where that stuff uh, might be happening is is really really welcome. Yeah, it's called a good point exchange, and I just pasted the link uh, to the chat here. Thank wow, you, awesome. thank you, thank you. Um, so okay, so this is where uh, maybe I start getting a bit too psychedelic, but um, <laughs> but I noticed there is actually quite quite a great uh, segue when you're talking about you know the idea of kind of avatar representatives for a natural system like a forest, right? That's that's a really cool intro to something that I'm <laughs> that something I've been thinking about uh, I've been thinking a gr- about a great deal and that 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 I was reminded of from seeing for example that you've been known to present um, quite often telematically uh, through through a hologram right mm-hmm. um, that's right which is which I think is is very interesting very prescient um, and and yeah obviously with 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 COVID and remote work and remote presentation likely becoming um, a, a, a reality. Yes. Yeah, it, it will become the norm. So, so I applaud you. I applaud you for for kind of for piloting that um, for piloting that very early. Um, one of the things that that occurs to me are, are you at all familiar with like zero knowledge proofs? Uh, yes. So, I'm personally quite interested in um, the idea of uh, integrating zero knowledge proofs or working around identity systems. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that your hologram uh, uh, presentation avatar kind of reminded me of, or made me think of, is in a sense one kind of you know the potential of decoupling a digital identity from our corpor- our corporeal form, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it raises in my mind um, the the potential, in some senses, of of digital politicians or avatar mm-hmm. politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, of course, like traditionally, when that when that kind of specter or that concept is raised. Um, for those who are familiar with Black Mirror, there's like a very dystopian episode. Oh, yeah, where yes, you, yes, I remember that. Somebody creates like a cartoon character and it's this populist, evil, kind mm-hmm. of unaccountable figure, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. and so the whole idea of like, of kind of a digital political being um, is very much framed as being a dystopian, kind of unaccountable, uh, mm-hmm. a farcical. Yeah. Uh, ghost, ghost in the shell had that first, but yes. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yes, thank yeah. you. Okay, <laughs> fair point. And also way better music. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder. Um, we were last year in uh, in Mexico for a period of time. Um, we're speaking to a friend there who interacts with the government quite a lot. Um, and and the issue came up, for example, of we were talking about issues with corruption in the state, uh, issues obviously in mitigating the the complications of cartels, so on and so forth. And well, how often ministers or people who are in charge of kind of you know m- mitigating the cartel issue become targets and are assassinated? Obviously. Well, exactly. I mean, and and my my first question was like, well, who would want that job? And then my second question was, is there a way potentially through using zero knowledge proofs to uh, which which for those who don't know what that is, it's basically like an advanced cryptographic technique that allows you to verify information without disclosing information. I could we could probably talk about it for an hour, but that would be that would be too off topic. But if if something like a zero knowledge proof could allow us to verify credibility without disclosing identity, could there be advantages to digital politicians in some cases that are maybe optimistic? Because what I love about you is you have such an optimistic framing about things mm-hmm. and, and in a sense kind of confound this very dystopian perspective of an unaccountable avatar politician. <laughs> Sorry, I hope that question's not too much of a, of a, of a, of a weird question. Yeah, but I was like, who in the world would I want to talk to about an avatar politician? I'm like, it is Audrey Tang. But so please, please. It's, it's, it's not very psychedelic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of hip hop, maybe. <laughs> so, 
the shade. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but I I, I mean hip hop uh, quite literally. There's a, uh, a Japanese hip hop band called Those Monos, uh, and mm-hmm. they literally sampled my interview uh, and like this podcast uh, because mm-hmm. it's in Creative Commons. They don't have to ask me, right? Uh, so they just notified me that they sampled uh, w- that my interview with a journalist uh, and into their hip hop um, like lyrics uh mm-hmm. and this is interesting because uh they they didn't quite distort uh my meaning i was talking about the civic sector the social sector uh the need to uh build such sectors uh that's uh, left out in traditional so-called public private partnerships and so on uh, but they add to it so much um interesting hip-hop uh, lyrics and also the tempo and also MV that's generated by GAN, uh, Generative Adversary Network, uh, that mm-hmm. looks like it comes out from the uh, Ghost in the Shell episode and so on. So mm-hmm. I essentially became uh, their kind of muse uh, imbued in the uh, MV and in the music and all together without my participation. So, so all, all I did is relinquishing the copyright uh, to my likeness and then people make memes, make um, hip hop raps, uh, make um, like art uh, based on whatever things, uh, materials that I publish uh, into the commons. So uh, I think this is really quite nice because um, this uh, is assassination proof, even more so than zero knowledge is. Because in, in a sense, this became a, a meme and, and the, the original Doga meme uh, is not mortal, right? It's not a mortal dog. <laughs> and because people just reuse it uh, in pretty much any context uh, that is uh, useful. Uh, it's even used for cryptocurrency, right? With the Dogecoin. Um, and so uh, the, the idea that one turns oneself into a meme, I think is far more survivable than anything that my limited um, output bandwidth uh, could have control on ZK. Because with a ZK scheme, I'll have to like manually uh, verify my intent uh, vis-a-vis any application of any statement uh, that I want yeah, to make. Yeah, yeah. But by relinquishing the copyright and even the, uh, the attribution rights, uh, the rights that couldn't be relinquished <laughs> and relinquish it anyway, the inalienable personal rights, uh, people are free to say that Audrey Town said this, just like uh, people uh, say, you know, Albert Einstein said this or something said this. Uh, it became a uh, like amplifier. So uh, my current take is that as a poetician, like all the good poets, I'm totally fine with whatever I said being remixed into popular culture and maybe resurfaced centuries mm-hmm. down the line. Uh, and uh, by looking at the political output as just poems, uh, just things that are um, artistic in a sense that it invokes a sense of uh, alternate possibilities. So I guess it's a little bit of a psychedelic uh, after all, uh, then we don't need to worry about the message integrity of the traditional statement that we need to prove using ZK because after all, it's just inspiration. This is to me the fundamental uh, difference between art and design, whereas design always conform to a spec or a brief of some sort. Art works on the other way around. It provokes uh, alternate envisions on existing material. I wonder just to kind of like dig in a little bit, is there in contrast, can we think of 
any application? I mean, the the cartel application is maybe an interesting one. Can you think of in your own scenario any application where anonymity would actually be beneficial? Well, anonymity is beneficial when there is a power imbalance. So, for example, Director Li Wenliang would probably benefit from pseudonymity because mm-hmm. he was in a place where there is a lot of power imbalance between him and the uh, uh, surveillance state, which didn't at first want the idea of SARS uh, resurfacing uh, being distributed uh, to the community, right? So, um, no more pipe, which is a pseudonym uh, on PTT, enjoys that particular uh, protection. We know okay. she is a young doctor because she said as much, but we didn't know who she is. And in those circumstances, that's kind of what more what I mean with with ZKP is kind of like the in certain circumstances where one would need to establish some credibility, right? Mm-hmm. Some 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 assurances that, for example, this report coming out of this hospital is coming from the right from person. Doctor, yeah. Normally, mm-hmm. I mean, the way we would normally arbitrate that, that sadly seems to be in some kind of decline is through journalists, right? Like you would have uh, uh, journalistic institutions with integrity who can pr- protect a whistleblower. Um, mm-hmm. But in the case of... Uh, in you the don't ca- have journalistic protections everywhere. So Well, exactly. And also this kind of attention between journalistic protections and protecting the state. So if you have people in official state positions who are, for example, investigating corruption related to drug cartels, mm-hmm. um, I just wonder if... If if there is some if there's some potential there using uh, using zero knowledge proofs mm-hmm. to be able to have there be an avatar and 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 uh, and and kind of parallel to to the world that you're describing, which actually subscribe to in the broader sense, give people the ability to trust that this avatar is someone who knows what they're talking about and someone that they can yeah, which is why I say pseudonyms rather than uh, anonyms, right? Yeah, uh, so. yeah. Yeah, pseudonyms uh, presume a continuous uh, identity and is the foundation of trustworthiness. So I'm not saying that uh, each publication need to be totally randomized because there's no journalism to be done uh, that way, right? Uh, what we are talking about is essentially still journalism. It may be yeah. citizen journalism or civic journalism, but at the source uh, checking part, at the narrative framing part, uh, at the balanced reporting part, that's still pure journalism. So, so I think... We, we don't need to invent new words. This is media work. And if you do media work to build common knowledge uh, so that people can benefit from it, you're doing journalism. I have one. This is kind of a random question. And if it's not interesting, we can always leave it out. But um, kind of along these lines, I've I've heard you speak about the importance of, you know, people being able to communicate privately and, and specific mm-hmm. ways, you, you know, using uh, cryptographic methods and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the kind of recent surge in cryptocurrency into the public conversation and how that's kind of um, changed the public view on the ideas around um, cryptographic um, encoding in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question and very interesting, I assure you. Uh, so uh, I, I get a lot of people asking me this um, because I made it very public uh, that uh, around 2012, 13, uh, I started uh, publicly saying that uh, my consulting rate is one Bitcoin per hour, uh, which Ooh, was just... <laughs> No, it was just 100 euros at that point. Uh, And then subsequently 200 euros, 300, around 500 euro, I entered the cabinet and therefore cannot hold even the private key to my wallet. So anyway, the the point I'm trying to make uh, is that um, the awareness of uh, people who look at Bitcoin and think 
about that. Hey, this is a brand new way of people who previously couldn't at all trust each other to gain some sort of trust.、Uh, I think for its inspirational purposes, it works really, really well, especially in places where the fiat or the central bank isn't doing all that well. So it serves an important inspirational purpose. But with that said,、uh, I do think、uh, people, if they think of it in purely financial or monetary、uh, transactional、uh, ways, instead of、uh, thinking more about the applications,、uh, as we just talked about NFT for trees or things like that, then it's missing a lot more.、Uh, basically, it's missing all the applications where the values to the society cannot be、uh, monetized, right, to be turned into dollar values,、uh, which is the Actually, vast majority of public goods,、uh, and so I think it's a good first step. It's a good entry drug, I guess,、uh, to the to the idea of、uh, socially recognized, mutually recognized value.、Uh, but then I think there need to be more applications to uh, just uh, storing uh, dollar values、uh, for people to realize, hey, this actually works for other applications as well. Yeah, it's true. It's a great source of frustration for me. I've I've been very very interested in, in participating in the Ethereum community for a very Long time and the the kind of asymmetry between the public perception of projects built on top of Ethereum as mostly being speculative financialization projects mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the the emphasis of people you mentioned earlier like Vitalik、um, of focusing a great deal of his time and energy in thinking about specifically mechanisms for the support of public goods、mm-hmm. that asymmetry、uh, in public perception is is is、uh, is really frustrating you know because generally speaking. Also, there's a lot of marketing language. There's a lot of marketing spend on promoting the aspects of this world that are,、uh, of that world that are purely speculative and kind of kind of scammy. Well, also、um, to use、um, Audrey's term, that what was it? The R rate, the R. Yeah,、level? the R, the yeah. R rate, exactly. Yeah, the yeah. R rate. Of- Yeah, the R rate of bad stuff always seems to somehow、um, overpower the the R rate of good stuff,、um, <laughs> uh, which which is a which is a great shame. But I'm 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 completely with you, and it's it's nice to hear it's nice to hear your sober enthusiasm on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's a it's a phase. It will probably pass.、Uh, I, I mean, the initial、uh, gold rush thing. We've seen this actually with、uh, open source movement, which is specifically forked out of the free software movement, so that we can. And also enjoy the economic argument, the marketing, if you will,、uh, from the commercial、um, proprietary software vendors,、uh, but toward free software and more free software in general, right?、Uh, but because open source chose such a marketing-friendly、uh, term,、uh, by necessity, almost the. Uh, earlier, especially around、uh, the IPO of Red Hat and so on,、uh, the conversations necessarily centers around a lot of things that simply makes、uh, no sense long term, but makes a lot of sense hype cycle ish, right? So,、uh, I mean, hype cycle. I've been through a lot of them, <laughs> so、uh, enjoy while it lasts.、Uh, but at the end of the day,、uh, it's the public utility that matters.、Uh, one thing I did want to add, so. But、just to reiterate again, we're a mate. We're big fans of Taiwan.、Um, <laughs> I I want to shout out right now Final Club, which is、uh, a, a a a place where you can go and have a nice、uh, drink and listen to music. I wonder,、uh, specifically speaking about these technologies or other things, do you have any recommendations for other things happening、um, within Taiwan that we should be familiar with and other people should be familiar with?、Mm-hmm. Maybe. Projects in in the space we were just discussing, or or something else optimistic, because it it genuinely did did feel for the two weeks I was there that I was stepping into the future, and maybe there's a hundred、mm-hmm. things that 
more I need to know about and we should maybe pursue with this podcast. Mm, sure. Uh, well, there's a podcast that I've been just on uh, called uh, Ghost Island Media, uh, and it covers the kind of interesting things that are going on uh, in the islands uh, of Taiwan. So that's the podcast that, that I would recommend you to, to check out. Uh, and uh, the podcast was... Uh, talking about when, when I um, joined the episode about uh, uh, Life and Times uh, of Audrey Tao, uh, they asked me what language do I dream in? And I said, uh, in a quote myself, uh, like JavaScript and Haskell and Perl, a little bit Python and things like that. So it's a little bit wacky, I guess. Uh, but but uh, they really get into uh, the layers of the onion, right? The um, history of the martial law, the history of Taiwan's democratization process, why we use the term democratization in its original meaning, which means popular citizen control, and definitely not very affordable everywhere, uh, and so on. When we talk about public policy and, and things like that, so uh, it's a pretty good uh, take on things. And in addition to the G0V uh, online community, I would also uh, suggest you to check out the social innovation uh, portal, si.taiwan.gov.tw, which talks about how the social impact-oriented organization are doing in Taiwan and their stories and uh, their challenges and uh, whatever you can contribute internationally as well. The Presidential Hackathon website is also worth checking out. Yeah, we really hope to get to visit again. I was really blown away by the natural beauty and how much of that you can find in Taipei itself and just like so so close um, surrounding the city, how, how much natural beauty there is. And also the kindness of the people. Matt and I got lost outside of Taipei. We were kind of wandering around some tea farms, got completely <laughs> lost. And all of a sudden, this um, white Tesla SUV drove up, pulled up, and the doors kind of opened really sci-fi, you know, like on the, you know, like like on the, the side. Future car, you know, with like the <laughs> and they they said, "Are you guys like you all are clearly lost?" And we're like, "Yeah." And we hop in, and it's this really sweet couple drove us all the way back to the city. So I was just really <laughs> blown away by the kindness of the people there. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah uh, feel free to get a couple of goat carts so you don't have to apply visa for the next year or three. Oh, that's a good good suggestion. Yeah, that's certainly certainly not a bad suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, well, Audrey. Um, we have one final question that we ask all our guests, um, and we don't tell them in advance, obviously, because because mm-hmm. it's fun to hear your spontaneous response. Um, sure. So we named this podcast Interdependence, um, and we'd like to ask people what that word or term means to them. Sure. Uh, it reminds me to the Declaration of Interdependence uh, of Cyberspace, uh, mm-hmm. because there was a Declaration of Independence of the Cyberspace, uh, and uh, it started a lot of, uh, including the cyberpunk um, ideas, right, uh, around the um, communities, which actually cryptocurrency uh, grew up from. But nowadays, we realize that the core of the internet is a sense of inter dependence, that without uh, each sector depending on the other sectors, on the things that those sectors are good at, we don't have a norm. We would just have balkanized nets and there's no inter in the internet anymore. So to me, the inter in internet now stands for interdependence. Beautiful. Beautiful definition. Is there actually a declaration for the interdependence of cyberspace? Because I I didn't know about that. Yeah, you thought she was talking about the Barlow. Yeah, it's a it's a United Nation top level uh, like uh, expert uh, recommendation argument uh, and things like that. So uh, I just pasted the, the link here. 
the age of digital interdependence uh, is uh, a full report of the UN Secretary General's high-level panel on digital cooperation. Hey, hey. Wow, from last Who year. Who knew? Wow, very cool. Very cool. Thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, because we're coming at it from a music perspective where we come from an independent music background. And the conclusion that we came to was that actually mm-hmm. everything that people liked about independent music was the interdependent parts. And that mm-hmm. emphasizing, the individual, emphasizing the individual too much was actually just the promotional strategy of the interdependent music industry, right? Like yeah, the, uh, actually without those new new kind of cooperative uh, organizations, the individual wouldn't have thrived at all. Yeah, definitely. The, the nine values that the UN report uh, that defines the interdependence in the internet uh, are inclusive respect, human-centeredness, human flourishing, transparency, collaboration, accessibility, sustainability, and harmony. Uh, so that sounds like some Something that will agree with your description about indie music. Absolutely. Well, we'll have Beautiful. to have the UN on next week. Thank you. Thank you. Harmony part, right? Exactly. Well, look. Thank you so much for your time. I don't know if, if if there's anything else that you would like you would like to cover that maybe we haven't touched on. Um, uh huh. What what I would like? Well, maybe I, I can conclude by reciting the poem uh, on audrey.t.org. Oh, I would love that. That would be Please beautiful. Do. Please do. Yeah. Like a larva holding on for transformation, a poem by Chen Yi Wen, translated by yours truly. I would like you to firmly resist your weakness, like a chrysalis holding back a butterfly, a maple leaf resisting the autumn, a newly splashed droplet resisting breakup. I would like you to balance your inner beauty like the structure of a snowflake, the four petals of finger tree flower, a quatrain on a yellowed paper scroll, a still night, an empty spring mountain. I would like you to tolerate the secrets of a narcissist, forgive the twists of a moonlit river, look straight at a murky sky as rain falls down, just like listening to a naked prayer, like the ocean embracing the absolution of a storm. Then maybe you would be willing to walk through a declining border town, through a prosperous metropolis, see life, See death, see all the bustle and transience, dignity and cold lifelessness. Sometimes life is as quietly beautiful as a poem, as desolate as a vine, as intense as a soaring eagle, as lonely as a dust-covered steel. And so time passes, places alter, faces change. It has been a long journey. We return to the room we set off from. Origin and destination curl into a perfect ring. I shall recognize the look in your eyes after calibration. Clear, unswerving, like stilled beads that do not rust. Roundly in the dark room, reflecting pure light. Well, thank you for listening and live long and prosper. <laughs> thank you for <laughs> thank, thank you. you for reciting two poems to bookend this episode. I hope we get to say hello in person at some point in future. And uh, yeah, really, Audrey, thank you. It's it's thank it's you very being... very inspiring and, and wonderful to to talk with you. Thank you for being so generous. Yeah, and looking forward to meet face to face, and looking forward to your future uh, episodes with hopefully a high uh, poem to prose ratio. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely we're definitely it's getting, getting there. <laughs> yeah, uh, very surprisingly, it's definitely it's definitely getting there. We'll also yeah. So Audrey, again, thank you so much. Hope to see you in Taiwan sometime. And uh, yeah, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Yeah, definitely get some goat cards and till then live long and prosper. Thank you. See you there. Bye. Bye.